Good morning, everyone. Um, the first thing, just uh, John, thank you so much, I want to say, for all that you've contributed in the leadership team. You're not quite finished yet. What he failed to mention was that he's standing down at half term. So I think you've still one more meeting left. Um, and we will get the opportunity just as a church to thank John and celebrate just his contribution um, a bit later. So uh, we are in a series, as John said, of, uh, where we're looking at what it means to be a disciple or an apprentice or a follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, that means in order, you order your life around three goals. So if you're at home, you can say these uh, out loud, perhaps. If you're here, perhaps uh, quietly under your mask. Let's see if we can get this thing working. Okay. So the first one is to be with Jesus. Second one is to become like Jesus. And the third is to do what Jesus did. And we've spent a week on each of these. If you haven't heard the talks, do check them out on YouTube or Facebook or Apple Podcast or on our website. Um, and we've even not ducked the difficult question of healing and miracles. Jesus did healing and miracles, should we? So Mark Mark covered that last week. But we're not finished. And uh, because to follow, sorry, to live the way Jesus will require, um, as John Mark Comer put it, will require full-on, top-to-bottom transformation. He said, followers of Jesus are those who arrange their whole lives around transformation into the image of Jesus. And that's the word that's used throughout the New Testament, transformation. Um, in Greek, it's the word metamorphoo. I'm probably not pronouncing it right but, right, but I don't think anyone was around in the time of the Greeks, so I'll probably get away with it. Uh, and that comes from two root words. So the word meta, which is to uh, change after being with, and the word morpho, which is about your inner self changing as well as your outward self. It's a holistic change. And it's where we get our English word metamorphosis. And you can see just in the slide here the image of the butterfly. The dictionary, or dictionary.com, defines metamorphosis as a profound change in form from one stage to the next in the life history of an organism. As from the caterpillar to the pupa, and from the pupa to the adult butterfly. I think we'd all probably agree that we're not all there yet in our discipleship to Jesus. I am certainly not a, a perfect human being, and if you need any proof of that, my wife and my family can, can sort of uh, make, make sure that's very clear. Um, I'm not even a mature or complete follower of Jesus. I think I've matured a lot over the years and decades, um, but I have still a lot farther to go as I seek to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. And some of you today will probably feel like you've made good progress in your spiritual life. You can maybe think over the last week or month, there's been progress maybe over lockdown. Actually, that's really served to deepen your faith. Uh, maybe over the last two or three years, you can really point to spiritual growth in your life. But others of you, I'm sure, will feel differently. You'll maybe feel like you're stuck in a rut. And it's not perhaps that you don't want to change, or it's not that you're not trying hard. It's just that you don't know how. And this week we start to look at how do we change? How do we become like Jesus? How do we do what he did? 
And it's often called spiritual formation. Dallas Willard, we saw a couple of weeks ago, defined it as spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated. I really like the word permeate, sponge, you know, when it's just permeated, full of water. Possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. And over the next five weeks, we're going to explore the four elements uh, of how to change that I outlined in the introduction to this series, and I really believe are necessary for transformation. The first, which we're going to focus on this morning, is teaching. So how does the teaching of Jesus, the Bible, how does Scripture help us to change? The second is practice. How do the practices of Jesus, what are sometimes called spiritual disciplines, help us to change? The third is community. How does the church family or small groups or even the household you're in, how does community help us to change? And finally, and perhaps the most important, how does the work of the Holy Spirit in us help us to change? So, this morning, teaching. Remember right at the beginning, we said Jesus was a rabbi, a first century rabbi, which means teacher. So that's what he was known at, and a good chunk of what he did was to teach people the way. Now, he wasn't just a self-help teacher with a couple of pithy sayings about how to get along with your mother-in-law. I've heard that's the challenge for some people. I'm I'm completely fine in that area. Um, but, But all of his teaching was set inside a much larger teaching which he called the kingdom of God. So listen to the biographer Mark's uh, summary of what Jesus was about. This is from Mark chapter 1 as Mark is introducing Jesus to his readers. So Mark 1 verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come he said, the kingdom of God has come near or is at hand or is within reach. Repent and believe the good news. So as John Wimber, who's the founder of the vineyard, taught, um, the kingdom of God was Jesus' central theme, the central theme of his teaching, God's rule and reign, his kingdom. And Jesus' call to his listeners was to repent and believe. Now, repentance sounds probably like a scary thing, and maybe it should be. Um, Again, the Greek word here is metanoeo. And we've seen the first component of that word already this morning, meta, to change after being with. But interestingly, the second word, noeo, is is about thinking differently. It's to think differently after. And one Bible commentary says, to repent is to change one's way of life as a result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. I don't know if you're like me, I always thought of the first part of repentance, the change of life, but actually it's as a result of a change of thought. John Mark Comer said, to repent is to reimagine your life from the ground up around the kingdom of God. And reimagination is the first step towards transformation. 
And that's why teaching is aimed at your mind. What I'm doing right now is trying to get in through your mind. Biblical teaching helps to counter some of the false stories we we hear from culture and from those around us. So teaching isn't just about the Greek words, although if it was, we'd be doing okay this morning, actually. Um, you've, you've, You've learned a couple, so well done. But it's, it's not just about learning facts or taking in information. It's about getting into your head with an alternative vision of the good life. With a compelling vision about how God wants your life, your community, our world to be. And it often says that the story you believe about yourself or the world, the story that shapes how you feel and influences what you do, that story isn't true. It's a lie. And then biblical teaching presents how God sees it. Anyone know the song by Lauren Daigle called You Say? It used to be on the radio, The Breeze, or whatever it's called now. It's called something else, isn't it? Um, It used to be on all the time about six months or a year ago. But it's such a song of truth and such a song of teaching. And it started like this. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. And then the chorus comes in with God's perspective. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. You say I am held when I'm falling short. And when I don't belong, you say I am yours. And then it's a line of commitment. I believe, I believe what you say of me. Friends, this is what teaching is all about. It identifies the lies we might hear from movies, from Instagram, from our colleagues, uh, from from friends that form us, those lies that, that shape our thinking, our values, our feelings, and our actions. And it contrasts these lies with the truth of the kingdom of God what God says about you and what God says about the world. And it calls you to say, I believe. It calls you to repent. It calls you to change your mind. And as it says right at the the bottom of the, um, after the second chorus, taking all I have, to take all you have and lay it at God's feet. That's what teaching does. And in a world that's having a major identity crisis, where people don't know who they are, where anxiety is soaring, where mental health and well-being is the other pandemic that we don't talk much about. Actually, did anybody know yesterday was World Mental Health Day? It's fantastic. I think it's you know, doing great work bringing mental health issues out into the open. But this song says that the story you believe about yourself isn't true. And here's a better one, the way of Jesus, the kingdom of God. Here's what your heavenly father says about you and about your identity. And this song resonated with people. It hit number two in the iTunes chart in the US and number 18 in the UK. But story replacement takes time. The lies we believe are often deeply embedded in our brains and in our way of thinking. 
The key text on this is Romans chapter 12, and if you were around a couple of years ago, we spent a whole term, in fact, this autumn term two years ago, we spent on Romans 12. And Romans, in case you don't know, is quite a dense theological book, Um, and in the first 11 chapters, um, Paul goes through lots of argument and building uh, uh, up a case, and then he gets to this conclusion in verse 1 of chapter 12, therefore... In view of all I've said so far, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And these are probably two of my favorite verses over the years and decades. I've spent time exploring them, thinking about them. Uh, In fact, I think I taught on these two verses two years ago. They're still on our website if you want to check them out. But over the last few weeks, I've just been seeing new depth in these verses. Verse 2 saying, do not conform to the pattern of the world. You know, I've said many times, we're being formed continually. We're being shaped We're being molded. And that's actually good and healthy, right? Because all living things grow and evolve. If we just stay the same, we'll become stagnant and there'll be no life. But the question is, who is forming you? What stories are shaping you? What narrative is molding you? Are you being conformed to the pattern of this world? The things our culture and our times are telling us. Or even the things we want to believe, let's be honest, just because they're convenient, they suit our purposes. So are we being conformed or are we being transformed? And the word conformed actually makes me think of restrictions, of being squeezed. In fact, J.B. Phillips in his translation of this phrase puts it, do not let the world squeeze you into its own mold. That's what the enemy's trying to do. He's trying to squeeze you, sometimes subtly, sometimes slowly, into his mold, his values, his way of thinking. But Paul's challenge is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul's call is to be transformed rather than conformed. And we can think of that picture of metamorphosis that we saw earlier, the freedom and beauty of the butterfly. But notice how it's done. It's through the renewing of your mind. For Paul, that's the first step to transformation. It comes through teaching. It comes through hearing the Word of God, the Bible, and letting it soak into your very soul. It's not a one-time act. It's an ongoing, continuous process in your discipleship to Jesus. And Paul writes a lot about the mind, actually. So Colossians 3, verse 3, he says, set your minds on things above. Philippians 3, verse 5, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Colossians, uh, second, sorry, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. He must have known a little bit about my mind and how it jumps from one thing to the other. You have to grab the thoughts and take them captive. One more quote from Dallas Willard this morning. He writes, 
The process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively replacing destructive images with the ideas and images that filled the mind of Christ himself. Spiritual formation in Christ moves towards a total interchange of our ideas and images for his. Doesn't that really help you to understand Romans chapter 12, verse 2? It certainly really helped me. Willard is saying that in our thought life, we have destructive images and ideas. Just like the line from the Lauren Daigle song, every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. And especially in the area of worry and anxiety and fear, but also in so many other areas of our thoughts, it's important to realize that some of these thoughts are not neutral. They are destructive. They are from the enemy. And a huge part of your discipleship to Jesus is to replace these thoughts with the ideas and images that filled the mind of Jesus himself. But you might be saying, Dave, that sounds great in theory, but what, what, what do you mean? Here's a few examples. On the left-hand side, some of what we might have in our mind as images or ideas, and then God's images and ideas. So we might be feeling worried about lots of different things. Actually, Philippians 4.19, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God's image is that, don't worry, I've, I've got it. It's under control. I've got you. I'm afraid. Actually, Jesus has given us his peace, my peace I give you. Maybe you're feeling alone, but actually Jesus is with you. He wants you to know his presence. Maybe you're feeling that you lack faith to live for Christ, but actually God has given you plenty of faith. Maybe you're not sure what to do in an area of your life, a big decision or choice that's coming up. Actually, God will give you wisdom. He's promised to give you wisdom when you ask for it and to do that generously. Or maybe we're just thinking that we're in control. Maybe we want to be in control. But actually, the posture of Jesus, the image and idea that filled his mind was that of submission to the Father. Not my will, but yours be done. So these are just a few examples, and, and they're not just you know, positive thinking, self-help, give yourself a boost, saying this stuff is gospel truth, and it will set you free. As I was preparing for this talk, uh, Pete Gregg's Lexio 365, I know some of you um, sort of interact with that. It's a really good uh, daily office. The prayer of approach was this. Holy Spirit, my teacher, as I dive into the Bible, I ask you to awaken my heart, expand my mind, and shape my identity today. And that is my prayer for all of us. So as we just think about application, I have three challenges for each of us this morning. And the first is this. Do you give God a chance to speak to you? We are a distracted generation. We are distracted by busyness, distracted by overcommitment, distracted by a need to achieve, distracted by entertainment, distracted by sport, distracted by technology. And the Holy Spirit has been described as a gentleman. He's not going to force his way in. He can be quenched 
and he can be ignored. And God's voice is often that still, small voice, the gentle whisper. And if you don't take time out, if you don't listen for it, you're not going to hear it. There's a battle for your attention. Actually, if you're part of a social media company, they talk about mind share. They talk about you know, getting a share of your attention. And if your mind is bombarded 18 hours a day with the world's propaganda, and you think a rushed five minutes of reading the Bible is just going to cut it, well, let me tell you, it won't. You will be squeezed into the world's mold We, and I'm really talking to myself as well, we need to take time to hear God's word, to hear him speak. We need to create space. And since January, well, particularly since lockdown, actually, it's been kind of helpful forcing a bit of this. I've been working on being more unbusy and trying to reprioritize the things of life, um, the things of God, um, trying to simplify my life. And I challenge you to do the same, like Samuel, maybe to take some time and just say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So let's pray, Lord, awaken my heart. Second thing is this, do you believe God's message over what the world tells you? When you read the Bible, do you actually believe it? Do you think about it? Do you let it resonate into your mind? Do you compare it and contrast it with the narrative in the movie you watched the other night or that meme that you were laughing about on on social media? Do you let that message fill your soul? Our faith isn't just about believing facts. The Greek often used for believing in Jesus is pistuo ice. It means to believe into something. It carries that sense of commitment. It's much more than just believing facts. Do we believe God's message? Are we committed to it? And maybe we can respond just like the boy's father in Mark chapter 9. I do believe. Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. So maybe we can pray, Lord, expand my mind. And then the final challenge this morning is, do you put it into practice? Because you can't think your way to Christ-likeness. James said that faith, and by that he was just talking about pure belief, without action is dead. And if we're honest, there is sometimes a gap, isn't there, between what we believe and what we do. And actually, if we go deeper, there's sometimes even a bigger gap between what we want to do. Listen to what Jesus has to say about this. And this just comes after he has just taught the sermon of his life, the Sermon on the Mount, this full-on guide to living his way. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. For Jesus, simply knowing his teaching was not enough. We need to do it. And that's where the practice of Jesus, his routines, his habits help us put his teaching into practice, into action. So you can just try and love your enemies, because Jesus said it, and just see how that goes. Or 
you can order your days around the habits and practices of Jesus and see how love flows into your heart and then out to actually love your enemies. We want to have the house built on the rock so that when the storm comes and Jesus said trouble will come, our house will stand firm. So let's pray, Lord, shape my identity. So that what we do, a response to his teaching, flows from that real sense of who we are. So next week, we're going to be looking more at the concept of practice. So the things Jesus did, his routines, his habits that helped center him on the rock. The things that he did as an example for us to follow so that we might be with him, become like him, and do what he did as we seek to bring the Father's kingdom, his loving rule and reign here on earth, into our communities and environments, and into the whole world. So maybe as the band gets up, shall we, uh, shall we just pray? Lord, I pray for each one of us, everyone listening on uh, the streams, everyone here in this room. May each one of us not just hear what you say. Lord, help us to do that. That is so difficult in a world of distraction. In a world where we're torn, our, our time and our attention is drawn in so many places. Help us to hear what you say. But would you also help us to believe it? Not just the facts, but actually have real commitment to what you're saying. May it seep dink deep into our minds, into our psyches, into our very spirits. And help us to put it into practice. May your truth sink into my very core. Just like that stick of rock where it just runs all the way through me. May your values and your identity just, be, just permeate into every part of each one of us. I ask that in your name. Amen.